Hey, fintech friends. Hey fintech friends, my name is Helen Femi Williams and I'm your host of the Hey Fintech Friends podcast brought to you by This Week in Fintech. So let's talk about the structure of this podcast. First, we're going to go through the news. And if you subscribe to the This Week in Fintech newsletter, well, you're in luck because this is the audio version. Secondly, we'll go through the Fintechionary. Then we're going to have a chat with this week's friend, Kurt Lynn. We'll go through the latest Signals article. And lastly, we'll go through events. But first, the Fintechionary. Okay, and this week's Fintechionary, which is our dictionary definition of a fintechy word, is API or Application Programming Interface. According to IBM, APIs enable companies to open up their applications, data, and functionality to external third-party developers and business partners, or to departments within their companies. This allows services and products to communicate with each other and leverage each other's data and functionality through a documented interface. Programmers don't need to know how an API is implemented. They simply use the interface to communicate with other products and services. API use has surged over the past decade to the degree that many of the most popular web applications today would simply not be possible without APIs. This week in FinTech. And the news. The Common Bank of Australia launched an app for charities to take digital contactless donations. JP Morgan's Jamie Dimion is slowly changing his tune on digital currencies, calling blockchain real as the bank prepares to launch blockchain Europe deposits and potentially get into NFTs. NatWest is busy signing up partnerships with fintechs like Token, Tink, Yapli, TrueLayer, GoCardless and Cresco to build variable recurring payments and banks are competing to offer customers higher yield products via brokerage in a rising rate environment. Payment Europe is pushing back on Europe's timeline for instant credit payments, while Singapore released new legislation on digital currencies and the Hong Kong Monetary Authority released a study stating CBDCs can work with private stablecoins just fine. And lastly, in other news, the UK's Financial Conduct Authority is studying big tech's entry into financial services. Okay, in product launches, Dutch payments giant Aden launched a suite of embedded financial products. Card issuing payment Marquita expanded its product set to include new banking capabilities, whilst card as a service provider GoCardless launched its own fraud protection suite and Point Predictive launched a consumer identity, income, employment and risk history tool. Competitor Fireblocks launched a payment engine to allow merchants to access funds from sales through instant fiat to stablecoin conversion. Crypto tax platform Taxbit launched an automated solution to compliance and reporting challenges across crypto and digital assets. Blockchain.com debuted its Marquetta-powered crypto visa card and Benefit Software Rippling is getting into payroll one month after launching spend management whilst Ramp launched a new set of tools for employee and vendor payments. And lastly, in other news, 
JP Morgan will now let users pay with Meta, while Amazon will let users make payments through Venmo, and Apple issued new rules for app store crypto and NFT purchases. Remittance provider Wise will bring investing products to Europe, and consumer neobank Current migrated to Visa's DPS forward platform. SBM finance provider Paystan will enable card users to get new day revenue, whilst Peach Payments partnered with API provider Stitch to bring instant checkout to merchants. Ripple is bringing NFTs to its XRP ledger, and Yellowcard received its first African crypto license. Nigeria's cloud commerce shut down, leaving investors to seek legal recourse. And similarly, Latam SMB commerce builder Netta also shut. Lastly, the UK's Institute of Directors launched a special interest group designed to boost the UK's fintech sector. And that's This Week in Fintech. Kurt Lynn is the co-founder and CEO of Pinwheel, the leading payroll connectivity API. The son of two immigrants, Kurt saw how the lack of credit history created a greater struggle for them both to access and secure financial products. This experience became a driving force for him and his co-founders to create Pinwheel. Kurt has been involved in multiple startup acquisitions, first with IDN and later with Lux. Following Lux's acquisition by Volvo, he received a HSA and experienced similar challenges to those of his parents. He realised if you didn't have much money to pre-fund an account, which most Americans don't, opening a HSA, a health savings account, was basically impossible. Kurt and his co-founders set out to create a more automated HSA process and soon realised the key problem was actually inaccessibility to the data and controls in payroll systems. Thus, Pinwall was born with the mission to create a fairer financial system. Thank you so much, Kurt, for joining us on Hey Fintech Friends. You will be our 10th guest, I think. So thanks. Excited to have you on. So it'd be good to kind of know a little bit about you, what you do, who you are. Totally. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I've been a huge fan of This Week in Fintech and so really happy that I finally get to be another part of uh, this journey with you all. So I am Kurt Lin. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Pinwheel. We are the leading API that provides connectivity into payroll and income sources. And through that point of connectivity, we can do a variety of things like update someone's direct deposits, verify their income and employment, enable earned wage access because we have proprietary data around you know, someone's time and attendance shifts along with their real-time uh, pay up information and a whole host of other things on top of that as well. Cool. And I mean, you, the way you explained it, I think for like most people, they'll be able to understand. But if you were kind of explaining it to like a non-fintech friend or like your mom or just, I guess, someone who's not kind of like in fintech, how would you explain what Pinwheel does? Yeah, it's a great question. And frankly, most of my friends aren't in fintech. So I, I do this on a fairly regular basis. So the way that I explain it is there's an incredible amount of just super valuable information about who you are, how much money you make, where you work, that is really necessary any time that you engage with the financial system, right? So like whenever you get a mortgage or an auto loan or a credit card or apply for an apartment, you have to have that information. And the problem is it's 2022 and the majority of people are still using paper documents to share that information with people who need it. And that's because the pipes don't exist that connect with that information is stored, like an ADP or a Paychex or a DoorDash or an Uber, with 
the folks that actually need that information to provide you a financial service, right? So a fintech, a bank, a lender, et cetera. And so what we do is we build those pipes to make sure that data can actually go from where it's being locked away to where it needs to go. And all of this is done with the consumer's permission. Yeah. So you're kind of connecting everyone together. You're like the big connection between like the consumer, the data, the fintech, everything. That's right. If I've got that correct. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So like, what were you sort of doing before this? Or has this always been the path that Kurt wanted to take? You know, as with all great startup journeys, I think it was a very winding one for us. Um, we actually, my two co-founders and I actually started this adventure by trying to build a fintech app. So after our last startup was acquired by Volvo, um, we were, it was the first time that I had ever been at a big company. And so it was the first time that I'd received a health savings account, an HSA. And in receiving it, I realized that these are like super powerful vehicles, right? There's like, for those folks who know, it's like a triple tax advantaged account. And what we realized is the mass majority of people who qualify for these accounts don't actually use them. And as we dug deeper, we realized it's because for the majority of Americans who live paycheck to paycheck, they don't actually have the cash flow to actually be able to use these accounts because you have to pre-fund, right? You have to put your money aside out of your paycheck. And then once that money is put aside, you can then spend it on medical expenses. And because you put it aside, you don't have to pay the taxes on it. But for most people, they, they obviously can't do that. And so we realized that you can actually build an automated HSA, have them connect their spending accounts, and we would monitor them. And whenever they made a qualified medical expense, we would go back into their payroll system and automatically ensure that they got their tax savings added directly to their paycheck. So it was a pretty nifty product, at least we, we thought so. And we brought it to market. And as we were trying to scale the business, we realized that we were spending all of our engineering hours not actually building product, which is a really bad sign that early on in the company. We were building just integrations because every customer was like, this is so cool. I really want to use it. But you know, I have ADP or Workday or Paychecks or whatever. Like, do you guys support my my payroll system? And we were like, no. We have this like super janky beta with like Gusto or JustWorks, and they were like, well, <laughs> can, I, can you help me? Like, can you build an integration so I can use this thing? And so what we, we were looking around, we're like, there's got to be some API out there that allows us to connect into all these um, payroll systems because this is such a like obvious thing in the market, and it didn't exist. So we built it ourselves just to power our own app. And then we had this aha moment where we realized that it wasn't just us or like a couple other fintech companies. There were thousands of other companies out there that needed access to these payroll systems and the really valuable data locked within them. And that's when we pivoted to what we are today. So it was a, a long and, and, and winding saga. Yeah, no, I, and it's super interesting, like all the different like routes you've taken and like you what you thought you were creating, it you know, you had to pivot and change. And I guess like when you were speaking, it, it made me think that a lot of, I don't know, I was just kind of curious, is there like a specific industry where you see this being used more? And like, is there a specific location? Because when you think like, obviously, when you speak, I'm like America, but is that kind of the main focus that you have because of maybe all the different systems that are used in America or is it kind of global or what do you kind of see the vision of Pinwell? Yeah, it's a really great question. So I think we're starting off in the US market because it's the one that uh, we know best and where the problem is really acute. Our hope is on a long enough timeline, like we want to take this global. I think the it's really interesting because as you go from market to market across the world, um, the idea of a payroll system actually changes quite a bit, right? Like in parts of Asia, there isn't actually a payroll system. 
it's the banks are paying the employees directly at the behest of the employer. And so I still think there's a really valuable service to be built where there's kind of a, a middleman layer to, that understands the data that can still share it and make that really valuable. Um, but it changes uh, as you go from as I mentioned, market to market. So I think it's going to be a really interesting problem for us to tackle as we uh, scale um, how we adjust the product to adapt to the needs of each individual market. Going back to your question about the vision, I think the thing that we find really exciting is the we're a platform business, right? So the foundation of what we do is we connect to this vast ecosystem, highly fragmented ecosystem of payroll and income sources. And then we gather the data and unlock those direct deposits and then we build products on top of that platform, right? So the first product that we brought to market was this flagship one around direct deposit switching, right? For all of your audience members who work in either fintechs, neobanking, retail banking, traditional FIs, what have you, everyone knows that the direct deposits are like the most critical thing for any retail bank because once that direct deposit comes in, that consumer is now actively engaged with you. They're starting to spend more. You're making money on the interchange. And then you can build on that relationship, right? But like winning that battle for privacy is always super important. But historically, it's always been this like really big issue because in order to get a direct deposit, you have to submit like a paper form to your HR team, which more often than not just vanishes into the ether, right? Or you're trying to uh, manually update your settings on like your ADP portal, which is a really clunky and high friction experience. So what we have been able to do is via our APIs, condense all that friction down to a single click and embed that flow into anyone's uh, app or like account onboarding experience, right? So you create an account, they say, congrats, you have an account now, use Pinwheel to update your deposit settings. You say, yes, I work at this place. I use ADP. We authorize you and then you say I want to move my paycheck over and that's it like, like we handle everything else on the back end and so that's been a really powerful tool I think for our customers to be able to start to really build that relationship with their customers and then from that point it's like well what else can you do and the next step for us has been okay we have access to this really valuable data and once they've connected their account we can't we can do not only the direct deposit but also access information about who they are, where they work, how much they make. So we can do like the verification part if they ever want to apply for a loan and then take that one step further. If they now want to start adding additional services to continue to build that relationship with the customer, maybe it's like earn wage access, right? And it's like, well, for me to be able to advance you your pay for the day, I need to know that you've clocked in and clocked out of your shift today. I need to know that you're still actively employed. And when you do get paid, I need to be able to claw that money back via your direct deposit. And we do all three of those things also, right? And so we can offer earned wage access as a service and embed that into our customers' apps and extrapolate that out. Well, if you can do earned wage access as a service, what's stopping you from doing revolving credit as a service or offering some like expansion of like buy now, pay later as a service or... Uh, taxes as a service, what have you, right? Like there's all these things that we can continue to build on top of the platform that we've built. It sounds so interesting. And, you know, as you were talking, I, there's so much information there. And I kind of want to circle back to you, actually, because every week I kind of ask the guests, like, what's a question I should ask the next guest? And as you're speaking, like you have all this information and it's for such a specific like element of like fintech and you're solving such a specific problem. So I guess the question I have is like, you, I, I guess from university to now, where do you learn the stuff that isn't like, you know, in school or education? Like, where did you learn all this stuff to be able to solve this problem? <laughs> yeah, totally. The reason why I'm laughing is because, and my parents would be aghast if they heard me say this, but like, I don't think I learned a whole lot in the classroom and college. Like, and who, who does, honestly? 
I don't think that's the purpose yeah. of it. Like, honestly, I think we should stop telling kids that that's what you go to university right, for. Right, right. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Uh, I could not agree more. So on a quick tangent, I feel like the most valuable lessons that I learned were outside the classroom in terms of like how to build relationships with people, you know, how to you know build a foundation for a higher EQ, et cetera, which then really serves you in, in the future, um, especially in, in the work context. I think the learning, I mean, it's interesting because my last startup and my entire career has been in startups, but they've always been in other industries. So the last one was in on-demand logistics. It was like a service or app rather that would allow you to call a, a valet on demand. So kind of think like Uber, but instead of hailing a ride share, you'd hail a valet. And before that, it was at a product design agency, et cetera. And I think I, I like to joke with my friends that, and I think this is true of a lot of founders, I find myself to be like constitutionally unemployable. And what I, and what I mean by that is like, Whenever I've had a job, I've always been like, oh, man, like, I feel like I could do this. Like, this isn't like, I think I could do my boss's job better than they can. And like, there's an element of just like. <laughs> yeah, so constitutionally unemployable. I, I was just thinking about it because I was like, oh, I, maybe I, I relate, <laughs> basically. Totally. I, I'm glad it resonates. Um, and I think to, to tie this back to your question, I think a lot of people who, like you and I, feel this way, um, we're also like very insatiably curious people, right? And so like whenever I discover a problem, I'm like, let me go super deep to like understand why this is the way it is, understand the history of it, understand like how we got to where we are today. What are the forces at play that are creating this problem? Because then and only then are you actually able to go solve it, right? And so I think it's just always having that kind of curiosity to really dig deep. And, and once you understand that problem at that kind of foundational level, then you, you're prepared to solve any problem, right? And that's also something that I really preach to my team as well. It's like a lot of the people on our team are not like uh, fintech people, right? They came from the Facebook or Google or whatever, especially on the engineering side. And I'm like, look, you don't need to know fintech, but you have to have the willingness and desire to learn and learn quickly. And that's a, the, the much more important thing. Yeah. But there is something there about like the specific problem you're solving is all around kind of like... I guess efficiency of the 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 system that kind of I think I I mean I'm not going to say it's a problem specifically for America but I think because you know you've got the state and you've got federal and all these different like ways of, like everything is very like specific and and different it does mean that it causes a lot of inefficiency so I guess yeah like with pinwheel specifically was there was there kind of an experience you maybe you didn't have but but what kind of led you to, to be like this is the problem that I think I need to solve? Yeah, that's a really great question. So I think startups are so, so, so hard that if you are building a company purely for the sake of building a company, you're never going to make it, right? Like you have to have this like overarching why that, wake, that you wake up every day and that drives you to do what you do. Um, and that for me um, was the moment that I realized that what we're building actually has a tangible impact on improving society, especially for underserved people who really need that help the yeah. most. So for me personally, uh, growing up, I am the son of two immigrants. And um, especially for my dad, like he was always this like really stoic, like fairly unemotional uh, guy. I mean, it took the guy like until his like 50s to tell me he loved me. So like that, that gives you like precedent <laughs> as to a kind of, uh, lack of emotional uh, availability that this guy had. And I remember, you know, you always think your parents are like invincible growing up, right? And, and so one day you realize they're not. And the moment for me 
that really shaped me is I remember uh, early on as a child, my dad was trying to get a mortgage for the first time. And back then you're obviously going bank by bank. There's no digital anything. Um, and I w- went with him and he kept on getting rejected, you know, door after door after door because he's this immigrant that doesn't have any credit history. And even though he's like, I mean, my dad's a physician, like he made good money and he had like fairly good assets, but like it was just so clear that there wasn't enough information about him in the system to be able to be like, yeah, like this guy is someone we should give money to. And I could see him really crack and get really frustrated for the first time. And that like really stuck with me because I could see the hurt and pain. I'm just like, why can't I like get something that I know I deserve um, because the system just doesn't work. And so that uh, I, I like, obviously at that time, I wasn't old enough to really understand what was going on, but that seeing how it made him feel that that stuck with me. And then as I got older and started to realize like why it was, then it, it made it really clear to me that what we're doing here with pinwheel is our thesis is at the simplest level by unlocking more of this data around who someone is, how much money they make, where they work, et cetera. You're actually able to give that data to the lenders, to the banks, to the fintechs to say, Hey, like this person who you would maybe initially think to reject Let's, let's look a bit closer here, right? Like, do we actually think this person may actually qualify? And the example I always like to give is like, there's teachers and nurses who have the same job for like six plus years who have incredibly stable income and are actually very reliable borrowers, but their FICO score is like 550. And so everyone's just like, ah, we can't lend these people. They're not credit worthy. And it's like, well, hold on. Like, that's one way of establishing their credit worthiness, but let's look at all the other factors here. Like, that's like kind of a myopic and unfair view to look at someone. Yeah. And so our, our hope is that as we unlock more of this data, we're actually able to move the system in the right direction um, and help those people actually be able to access financial products that are not predatory and that are actually helpful for them when they need it. That's awesome. And thank you for sharing that story about your dad. I think I think what you what you kind of touch on, you are speaking to kind of the fact that there are a lot of like in, institutional problems with like, you know, how we check eligibility for a house or any kind of measure of, of what it means to have financial freedom in society. And I think with a lot of fintechs and or what you're doing or what a lot of fintechs try and do is kind of build the gaps that just aren't really there. I guess. So I think that's pretty cool, actually. And it's kind of annoying. I, th- I think it's cool, but also kind of frustrating because in a way you would expect like the institutions and the government and all these types of things to kind of have that in place so people wouldn't have to. But, you know, sometimes it's like people have to leave first. So it's pretty cool. So <laughs> I was going to ask you, like, what was kind of like your oh shit moment in your career? But I feel like your what was it? Constitutionally unemployable, um, yeah. unemployed, kind of yeah, unemployable kind of speaks to it already. I might just ask it anyway. So yeah, our first guest once, um, a question he asked was, um, what was kind of like your oh shit moment in your career? So for him, actually, it was around like something that was going good. And then all of a sudden, like shit went up the hill and like it all went wrong. Do you kind of have an anecdote or time when something like that happened? Uh, I, I mean... For being honest, I think I've had a lot of oh shit moments in my life. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, but, you know, what is the kill you makes you stronger? Um, <laughs> I would say, I think one of the really pivotal moments for uh, me was, I'll, I'll share two, um, if, if I may. Okay. Um, Go for it. <laughs> I think one uh, is, I think a lot of people actually don't know this, um, but when I was in college, my mom actually passed away. 
um, from uh, like a long fight with cancer. And it, it made me realize that, I mean, she was like very healthy and like all things considered, it was like something that I was just like, kind of like caught me off guard in, in many ways. Yeah. Um, even though it was kind of, like, kind of like a prolonged battle. And it just made me realize like, like, you know, there's just, this life is too short, right? There's just like, you, you can either sit around and wait for things to happen or you can seize this life for what it is and, and like do like everything you can to make the most out of it. Um, and I think that was something that like really kind of made me who I am today. And so like that is like, that's like the honest answer, I think, um, if I'm like rethinking about it holistically. And then the second one is like from like a career perspective, one of the things that like, it wasn't really an oh shit moment as much as it was like a, oh my God, this is like what I really want to be doing moment. Uh, at the last startup that I was at, my co-founder Curtis is actually the founder and CEO. And we talk about this idea all the time, but there's this, there's, startups are so special. And what I mean by that is, you have all of these like brilliant, super driven, super motivated people coming together to do this like wildly improbable thing. Yeah. Right. Like <laughs> you have some like idea, maybe it's like a very cockamamie idea, but you're like, imagine, well, what if this was true? Right. And like you have all these people working insane amounts of hours and like putting their like blood, sweat and tears into something to manifest the vision of the world that they all believe should exist. And when you do it right, and I'll be honest, I think a lot of people don't do it right, but when you do it right, like a lot of people in the trenches, like doing really hard shit together, like, I mean, call it bonding through shared trauma. I like to call it <laughs> like more, more like there's, there's a real magic to it. Right. And one of the things that like the test that I have is like, when people look back at their time at Pinwheel or back at their time at a, their time at a startup, does it like, do you feel like, Oh my God, like that was like such a magical moment in my life where like we had all these amazing people that were like trying to achieve something great. And like, that was special, right? Like that really felt like really like a, a special thing. And like, I felt that at, at Lux and that was the thing that I was like, man, like all I ever want to do for the rest of my life is just like, continue to try to build that yeah because like people always ask me especially in interviews like what how do you define success and i think like the table stakes of it are like obviously like i want the company to like do well and like go like reach a level of like commercial and financial success but the other metric for me is just like have we built a culture where people feel like they're actually like feeling that magic and like doing incredible work with incredible people because i think that actually has a much larger impact on your life in the long run than, than anything else, right? And like, if you've never experienced that, like, like go find that because, I, like, if you have, like, you, you know what I'm talking about? Like, it's it's so incredible, and like, you want to make that moment last as long as possible. Thank you for both those answers. Like, I think that's I think that's really interesting, and I think um, that as someone who sort of pivoted from like a very corporate field then to, to more like open stuff, I I think I understand what you mean now with magic. But like, I think when you when I first came out of university, it was just like. I'm just going to work. And then, you know, so also, obviously, sorry to hear about your mum. I totally you. get it. My dad also passed when I was in college. And it is a weird little isolating moment in your life, especially when you're that age. And basically no one understands grief. So it's, it's, it is quite bizarre. But I, I get you because I think it took, I think that kind of oh shit moment, if I'm being totally honest, took me a little bit longer. Uh, my, my dad was also healthy. Then he died in a car accident. Oh, but when he passed, it's, it's all right. But when he passed, I think actually it took me probably like 
I would say more recently, like four years post his death or five years post his death to actually be like, what am I doing? I don't want to do this. Also, my dad would not want me to do something like to work in fields that I don't want to do. He'd be like, why are you doing that? <laughs> do you know what I mean? But yeah. I think what I was, I think actually I probably was in po- like, because I wanted to finish university and I wanted to like start working and stuff. My sort of gut reaction after his death was just to like get a job and mm-hmm. just do all these like very normal things. Even though I know that if he was alive, he he wouldn't have wanted that anyway. <laughs> so yeah. So, but I'm glad you got there faster than me because yeah, it took it took me a while. <laughs> yeah, it, it took me. It was not an immediate thing either for my for me. Like I think um, for the first couple of years after, like I think you're, you're looking for a sense of like stability. Yeah. Right. And so sure. like I, I imagine that's kind of why you chose to do what you did. And like I I think it took me like a couple of years to like get to that realization too. So. I don't don't give me too much credit. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I think it's really interesting with like people who've like experienced grief when they're younger, like how they how they kind of navigate that and how it kind of stays with, sticks with you or doesn't, or you repress it, or like sometimes it comes up and stuff like that. And it's just a very strange thing. And even like yeah, five years on, sometimes I'm like, um, oh, I, I've I've like completed it, and then all of a sudden I'm like, no, definitely have not. <laughs> <laughs> Another question that was kind of asked by a previous guest was. Um, I feel like I kind of already know this, but like what keeps you up at night professionally and personally? Yeah. Well, now I'm curious to know what you think I'm going to (laughs) say. Well, I think because you're the fat, what I don't know about personally, I just think like professionally it it is kind of, um, you know, goes back to kind of the culture of pinwheel, like kind of getting that right, making the sort of spark right. Also, I guess solving the problem itself. So actually I have two questions, two questions in one. What keeps you up at night? professionally and personally but then also like what would be the thing or the moment that would stop you working in fintech where you'd be like okay done that now finished completed it yeah uh, those are both great questions i would say the for the first one there's actually a and like i know the guy is not the most popular dude in the world so um, i'm not advocating that I, I believe in all of his policies but Zuckerberg had a really interesting interview on the Tim Ferriss podcast like about a year ago, I want to say something like that, maybe earlier this year. And there was one line that I heard that really resonated with me, which was he was like, look, like anything outside the house, like externally, whether it's competition or market forces or whatever, like I don't ever lose sleep over. Like it doesn't bother me. I'll figure it out. If there's anything inside the house, like there's like people on my team that are fighting, there's internal conflict, like people are not like you know, on the same page or whatever, then I can't sleep at night because like I have the utmost confidence in my team that if we're working together and we're working as one, we can solve any problem outside the house. But if there's problems inside the house, then like, I can't sleep. It's just going to, it just like keeps me awake at night. Right. And I, I feel largely the same way. It's like, this thing is just so hard that like you, you can't have the team not united and together as one. Right. Um, I think that's like the thing that I really focus on going back to your point about culture, right? Like, look, we're going to go through ups and downs. There's going to be like really hard shit that you have to get through, but if you, but if you do it together, you're always going to get through it. Right. Um, but if you people who like are not on the same page and they want different things and like there's discord there, then, then I think that's when I really like have a hard time sleeping. And so I would say that's my answer to that one on the professional side. Um, on the personal one, I, I mean, honestly, as I think any founder would probably tell you, and it's definitely not healthy. There's like no difference to me between <laughs> professional and personal. Like <laughs> it's one life, right? Like it's, um, so I, w- I think I'm going to use the same answer for both to your, to your question about 
like when I feel like I will feel like I've completed my work in fintech and move to a different industry. I think it's really hard to say because the market is just constantly changing, right? Like I think for myself, I, like I never got into this because I was like, oh, like w- once we hit this revenue milestone, or like once we go public, it's like, oh, like I've 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 hit the finish line, like I've done my work here, I can move on now. Yeah. I mean, our our ambition is to build a generational company. So like that stands the test of time. So like this is not something that I feel like I ever want to leave until I feel like our vision has been manifested. And, you know, I don't see that happening for, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 plus years. Like I just like, however long it takes is however long it takes. And it's kind of like one of those things where it's kind of like falling in love, right? Like when you, when you know, you know, and I, I think like when that time comes, I, I will know, but I, I think we're, we've still got a long road ahead of us. And I'm excited to like, yeah, keep moving like step-by-step step towards that goal. Awesome. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And like, I guess if I was turning it on its head, it's like, yeah, once, well, yeah, what it, it's not something that it's, it's going to kind of finish. Um, but yeah, that moves us on quite nicely to our like quick fire session. So I'm just going to ask you 10 questions and just answer. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Let's do it. They have nothing to do with fintech. Okay. Even better. Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite cocktail or go-to drink? Ooh. Uh, well, I am recently sober although not like i should rephrase this i've been experimenting with a phase of sobriety so it took me a second to think about my, the last time i actually uh drank i i am a big fan of spicy margaritas although i think i've craved them less ever since i started this uh exploration phase okay or, or i can rechange the question what's your favorite um drink <laughs> well, if you ask my teammates, they'll tell you that it's Coke Zeros, which is a very, very unhealthy habit. But like, I, I find that diet soda, especially Coke Zero, like, has just enough caffeine where you don't get like jittery, but it kind of gets you like through the day. And so I've scaled back, but at one point I was like consi- consuming like five or six a day. And I was like, this is oh my God. very unhealthy. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. Now, <laughs> Before you judge me, I'm like, I'm down to like two now, right? So I'm, I'm making progress. No, I'm happy for you. Yeah, I don't know. I, n- I never drank fizzy drinks when I when I was growing up. So I, I only really drink them if I drink alcohol. But then I moved to Malaysia and then all of a sudden I would drink fizzy drinks like Coca-Cola's. And now I just associate like drinking Coca-Cola with the sun. So if I'm in a hot country, I'll get all of a sudden I'm drinking like loads of Coke. I, it's very weird. Uh, what's your favorite month? Oh, uh, it's December because it's my birthday month and it's also Christmas, which is my favorite holiday. And so it's like all this goodness packed into 31 days. <laughs> yes. All the goodness. Would you rather climb Mount Everest or trek through the Sahara? Because I am a masochist and it's, it's for me, a sense of achievement, I would say Mount Everest. Okay. What's the strangest thing you've eaten? So the strangest thing that I, that I can confirm that I've eaten, I think, is like... Uh, frog or ostrich. <clears throat> now, the reason why I laugh is because I took a business trip to China like five years ago where they served us this like stew of meat that was very much not like, it was definitely not beef or pork <laughs> or chicken. And they didn't confirm to us what it was. And I have a sneaking suspicion that it was like horse and dog. And it's like, it, it makes me feel very like, like squirmy 
So I, I, I've never confirmed it, but it was like, but you just know. it was definitely not a normal. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I, I, yeah, I don't, I, I found out after the fact and I was like, I made, it made me feel very, very nauseous. What's a useless talent you have? Ooh, I got a lot of these. If you can't already tell, I'm like pretty OCD. And so like one of the things that I do whenever I walk into a building is like whenever there's like tiles on the floor, I will count the tiles. Oh. And just it's like, yeah, it's literally like a subconscious. I didn't realize I'm doing it. And But if you like, I can literally go, oh, it's like 120,000 in here. Wow. What's the best thing you've ever purchased? Oh man, that's a hard question. One of the first things I ever purchased as a kid uh, was a, uh, a copy of StarCraft. Which is this like, I don't know if you know what this is. No, it's like okay. a it's very nerdy, very, very <laughs> nerdy. It's it's a real-time strategy game. Basically, it's a computer game where you can like, control these armies and like it's this, this whole thing. Now, I got obsessed with it and I played all the time. And a big part of it was because like I had bought it with my own money. Oh, that's cute. And I was like really proud of the fact, yeah, I like earned it. I was like, this is my first like purchase. And so yeah. Oh, okay, that's nice. Uh, what's the worst thing you've purchased? Ooh. I don't want to put this brand on blast. I'm not going to mention okay. the brand itself, but there's a suitcase company. Okay. And I bought their suitcase and it was not cheap. You can probably figure out what brand this is. I, I, I've got a thought. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, I use it like on one trip and it was all like banged up and like, then like it, it, it was not as high quality as I thought it was. And I just like it sits in my closet, and every time I open my closet, I look at it, and I'm like, ah, yeah, what a terrible waste of money. That's annoying. Yeah. Um, and if you were a DJ, what would be your DJ name? Would be it would probably be DJ Lean, and let me explain why the where their name the name comes from. So, in college, uh, I we we I was in a fraternity, and half the fun of being with all these guys was that like you would make up dumb names for each other. Yeah. Right? And so my last name is Lin, but my friend who, uh, whenever he got drunk, would slur his words. And so he would, and we, we talked, we told each other about our last names. And so he would call me Lean instead of Lin because like, he just like, he couldn't say, <laughs> he couldn't say the word correctly. And, that, and then like, it just became this ongoing joke between us. And then like the, the whole rest of the group just started calling me that like, as like my name. <laughs> and so like, that's like what a lot of my friends from college call me. And so that would probably be DJ. DJ Lean, I like it. I think, I yeah. think it's, 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 it sounds pretty cool. And um, what's one thing that you own that you should really get rid of? I have way too many um, gadgets and like, like I, I, I kind of hoard electronics because I'm like, oh, maybe I'll like, use them one day. So I have like right. an entire box of just like cables and like and like dongles and all this stuff that like never gets used. And like I just need to like get rid of them. To be fair, so do I. And I'm not sure what purpose I, I think I'm going to have with them. Right. And would you rather have 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife or always have a knife but never be able to use spoons? 10,000 spoons because you can actually cut stuff with the spoon if you turn it on its side. Like, I've done it before. Yeah. I'm not, like, particularly proud of it, but... No, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, so I asked someone else that, and they were like, oh, I'd, I would um, take the spoons because I can, like, turn it into a prison shank. <laughs> I was like, oh. I was like, oh. But they were like, can you ask the next guest that so I can see if they would say the same thing? And I was like, all right, sure. So kind of you did. <laughs> Kind of, kind of. <laughs> but yeah, thanks. That is the end of our quick fire session. I guess I, I only really have one last question. And, um, you know, as this is the Hey Fintech Friends podcast, we're quite keen to highlight other 
fintech friends and people that people wouldn't know about. So do you have a friend that you think we should be looking out for? Uh, many. I think uh, one that is doing something really interesting is uh, my friend Steve Carroll at Findigs. Uh, they're basically trying to build the Airbnb for long-term rentals. And it's a fascinating business um, because I think they're, uh, more and more people are becoming renters and not true homeowners. Um, and they're kind of building the foundation to really kind of help them on that journey and eventually get them to homeownership. Um, that's the, and so, you know, I think it'd be great to, to have them on. Yeah, no, that sounds like a really interesting business. I haven't heard about it, but it just seems like something that is very needed in many countries. So that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I think that's the end then. Thank you so much, Kurt, for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Can I plug one thing? Yeah, go for it. Um, we recently did a uh, survey um, with about 2,000 working Americans and it's not published yet, but one thing that I'm really excited about is to to share um, all the insights from from that study. But what we realized is, or what we learned is that more than 60% of people can't actually access affordable financial products because of uh, the nature and the kind of circumstances of how the system works today. And so really excited to kind of publish that. And I think it's just a testament to like how much more work there is for us to do. So yeah. That sounds very interesting. And yeah, definitely send me the um, um, the report once you publish it. We'll yeah. add it as part of this episode. Um, Absolutely. So yeah. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kurt. Signals is our subscriber-only reads. To listen to the full article, please subscribe to the This Week in Fintech newsletter. I'm going to read you a snippet from one of the latest articles, Business Financial Management Intensifies by Sophie Vo. When times are good, you can profitably offer a variety of financial services to businesses as standalone solutions like payroll or pseudo API booking. A lot of B2B fintech startups have been really successful in doing so. Now, times are less good. Soaring interest rates and high inflation dampening consumer demands for goods. Stock market volatility weakening retail investors Appetite for trading, once-in-a-generation dollar strength impairing businesses outside the UK, crypto doing whatnot causing a shift in business financial needs, and so much more. This new set of financial needs is putting a pressure on a number of B2B fintech concepts and fintechs who historically offered a niche set of products are having to adapt by diversifying out their swim lanes. We're already seeing equity fundraising platforms start to expand out. For example, PartyRound, a fundraising tool for startups, rebranded to Capital and launched Business Bank in a move to let founders manage the funds they raise directly from the platform. As business fintechs batten down the hatches for less good times, an interesting convergence is happening across B2B fintech products. It's no longer enough to serve a niche set of business needs. The race is on to offer businesses all the financial features. To read the rest of this article, please subscribe to the This Week in Fintech newsletter.
Okay, so there actually seems to be a lot of events happening in the next two weeks. EPA Summit, GCC, is happening on the 1st of November in Dubai. Other things happening on the 1st of November include FinTech and InsureTech Live happening in London, Web Summit happening in Lisbon, and Singapore FinTech Festival is happening on the 2nd of November to the 4th. API in Finance Summit is happening in Toronto on the 9th and this week in FinTech is having a meetup in Cape Town on the 10th of November. You can actually get tickets on our website. The Financial Brand Forum is happening on the 13th to the 16th in Las Vegas and FinTech Talents Festival is happening in London on the 14th. Financial Brand Forum is also on the 14th and lastly the FTT Building Societies is happening in London also on the 14th.